Good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining us. And if you're a guest here today, um, we just honor you. And we are glad that you're with us. And just pray that you feel like you belong today and that you're blessed in the Lord's presence. We're uh, continuing to today the series that we've called Rhythm, Living in Step with God. And it is our hope and it is our vision for the year that each of us in 2022 would make it a priority to grow in living in step with God because a blessing will flow out of that. And we've been studying specifically um, a portion of scripture to launch this practice of rhythm from Deuteronomy. It's an important portion of scripture and a great way for us to launch the year to Deuteronomy chapter six, four and five. And I'm asking you to memorize it. So I'm gonna have you unite your voices together and let's recite the Shema, it's called, join me. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your with all your, and with all your, yeah. Keep putting it in heart and mind. Because you can imagine um, the journey that is before us. The first word is the Hebrew word Shema, which we've looked at over the last several weeks. It means to hear and obey, to listen and to be faithful. They go together in the journey. And I've chosen it as our 2022 verse of the year because I can only imagine what would happen if we truly listen to God better and to each other better. Wouldn't that be a great thing to work on over 2022? And um, this blessing, I think, would be very similar to God's goodness flowing to us like honey on a warm spring day. And I'm thinking about a warm spring day a lot right now. There's so much goodness that comes when we listen to God's voice and to each other in better ways. So that's, that's our intention over 2022. I had a fun moment this past week. I was coming from the parking lot into the front entrance here in our Chanhassen campus, and uh, I, there was a dad coming in with his five-year-old boy dropping him off at our preschool. So I greeted him. I knew the father, had never met the boy before, and I looked at the boy to greet him, and he just raised his hand toward me like a high gesture, but the first word out of his mouth was shema. <laughs> no kidding. I about fell over, he's five. That word is going to be in his head all the days of his life, and I can almost guarantee he's gonna be a great listener and a great doer of God's good blessings and work. Well, last week, Ben Griffin did an extraordinary job taking a look in this word study at the word of love called Ahava Love. We're taking two weeks on it because I want to speak um, specifically about this love uh, in a personal way but as well, um, and then when I say personal way, pastoral way, what we receive, and in a collective way, a community, a way that we give together as community. So it's kind of like two portions to the message. And the first is a personal way. I'm gonna offer essentially a Shema practice that you could step into 22 with, and I think you'll find great encouragement and help as you do. The Shema practice is to learn to, to listen and to receive God's love into your heart as an anticipation of giving it away in community. And I think about my journey over the last recent months anyways, and the people whom I've met with for coffee, for lunch, for pastoral counsel, I'm just amazed how much pain there is right now. We're surrounded by it. And that pain speaks about our brokenheartedness, that our hearts are broken because of specific sufferings um, that come from someone or something in our lives. 
And I personally am experiencing some pain. I would say my pain is emotional pain over the last, just being transparent with you, the last number of months, the loss of dear friends, the loss of my mom at Thanksgiving time. And then, believe it or not, could there be more? This past Tuesday, I had to put my dog Moose down. And Moose has been part of our journey. If you've been at Westwood for any length of time, I tell Moose stories all the time. He's just been the greatest companion. Sits at my feet when I work on a sermon. I'm just telling you it's been a rough week, so you know that. But my pain is emotional. It's not about my pain. I just know the reality that life is filled with pain. And many of you have pain in your life right now. And for some of it, it's a financial pain. It's a pain because you don't have a job that's meeting your needs or you just hate your job, or you're in transition trying to find a job. And for some of you, it's uh, related to physical health. And boy, you're, if you're in physical pain, it's a joy robber on every front. And some of you are battling that kind of pain and trying to keep your head above it. And for some of you, it's relational pain where you just are dealing with the reality of loss um, of a loved one in your life maybe, or perhaps longing for someone to be in your life who's not in your life, but could be in your life, or maybe the strain of relationship, or maybe it's children. I don't think there's a pain that puts me on my knees more than when my kids are in pain, and many of you feel the same way. Here's my point. I'd love to invite you into a pastoral moment. Um, if you are in a pain place, whatever that pain might be, I only identified a few, um, I'm going to invite you to stand in just a moment. I, I'm the first to stand because I know I've already been transparent. I'm, I'm in a pain place. So I'm okay with you knowing that. Because one of the things I've noticed is that in the scriptures, there were crowds that people stood in the presence of Jesus in the community of others around them to acknowledge their pain and their need. I think of Bartimaeus, the blind man, who had all kinds of pain and discomfort in his life, and the disciples are coming by in a crowd, and Jesus is there, and Bartimaeus cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Two times he had to say it because of the noise of the crowd, but Jesus made his way and saw him, and I think the power of that is immensely beautiful, that Jesus sees us in our point of pain, and he knows what's going on, but he still asks Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? He's looking for a specific response, a trust. And Bartimaeus replies, I want to see. What a beautiful picture. I think Jesus is saying that to us. So I'm the first to stand. Is there anybody else experiencing pain today by which I could pray a prayer of God's love over you and asking him to see you and to be present with you? I'm gonna invite you to stand wherever you might be. Are you in a place of pain today? Anybody else? Many of you have humbly stood. Others are seated. Be in prayer for those who are standing. It's, it's courage to stand. But something happens in community, so I want to offer this prayer. Would you join me? Father God, thank you that you see us. You don't leave us alone. You understand us. You meet us at our point of pain and wherever we might be in life. I'm grateful for that. I think about Bartimaeus who stood in your presence and said, oh Lord, have mercy on me. And Father, you did, and you allowed him to see. So may we be like Bartimaeus. Everyone who is standing in this moment, maybe you take a deep breath in. It's called a prayer breath. 
say as you breathe in, Lord, have mercy on me. Just pray that into your own mind. Lord, have mercy on me. And pray it out. Um, Lord, I want fill in the blank. What is it you need in your own life? Fill in that blank. He hears. Lord of heaven, I just can imagine it's like popcorn going up to your ears right now. So do what only you can do in this community of faith and affirm us even in this moment that you see us, that you want to help us, that you will guide our steps, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. That is called um, a Shema practice, a listening practice to receive love personally in our lives. And we need it. And we need it daily, not just occasionally. But we also want to take a moment in this message to speak about love that we give away collectively in community. In fact, when Jesus was asked what is the greatest commandment, he responded with Shema, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He did the same thing. And he added, love your neighbor as yourself. That he would elevate that the love that we receive is to be unleashed to those who are around us. And that's part of the mark of who we are, that people will know we are Christ followers by our love. And it becomes the power force of work um, of God in and through us to make a difference in the world. And so it's a generous love, this love that is in the, the great commandment that Jesus gives to us. We said ahava love last week is the Hebrew word, the Greek word is agape love, the, the cousin. And it's the love that we see at the beginning of Jesus' journey for God so agape the world that he gave his only begotten son. He loved the world to that end. And it's like bookends. We see it at the end of his journey, the day before he's crucified in John 13, that he showed the full extent of his agape love and he gets down and he washes their feet. It's a generous love, it serves, and it is intended to be God's purpose that we live in the rhythm of receiving and giving that love away. So I wanna speak about the giving aspect of love as it relates to racial healing. We just celebrated Martin Luther King um, Jr. Monday, and then um, over the month across the nation in the Twin Cities, um, he is being honored, and this is the first Sunday I've had an opportunity to, to do that, and I'm glad to do it, because I think Martin Luther practiced the Shema, I think he listened to God, and he loved the Lord his God with his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he made that love available. He, he, was, he was one who was infused with love, and he unleashed it for the betterment of humanity, and we have that testimony through the decades. He was uh, a guy who was living in a historic time, as we are even today, and he was a history maker of God's love. I was interested to learn in an article I read in this last week that 80% of Americans believe that we could do better on racial tension in the United States. Over 80%, I'm humbled by that. The question and the debate and all the controversy and heat tends to be how do we do that? And I wanna speak about the how because we as a church care about the issue of race relations because it is the ready-made opportunity to bring the gospel of love into this divided discourse that's in our country. And I'm gonna use the words of Martin Luther King himself. In 1966, he gave a sermon called Guidelines for a Constructive Church. And it was a clarion call to the nation in the tumult of the civil rights movement. But I also think it is an absolutely stirring challenge for us as the Church of Jesus Christ today. 
So I want to encourage you to listen to the whole deal because I'm only giving some, you know, quips from it, just a a few things that I'll share, but it's about a 27-minute message. You can get it on YouTube, listen to the whole message. But here's the invitation. Let's be a constructive church. Let's be a constructive church. If I was in a church of a different culture, I might get at least one amen from that. Let's be a constructive church. Let's do that. Let's do that together. Martin Luther King opens up his sermon talking about the guidelines that the government had just instituted calling for an end to segregation in the public school system. But it wasn't just in that moment because actually a couple of years had passed and there were many school districts in certain states that would not comply with the government um, guidelines that were given. And here we are, the government is giving us guidelines around all kinds of things right now, and we have, as well, resistance. It goes with our democracy. But what he does is genius. He was disturbed by the non-compliance of many of these communities, and King skillfully reminds us that God Almighty has given us guidelines for the operation of the church in his word. And this is what he says, quote, if a church is to be constructive church, it must follow the guidelines that have been set forth by God through Jesus Christ. Yeah, thanks. (laughs) That's an amen. He's just saying, There's not room for us to choose not to be compliant with God Almighty when we drink from the fountain of God Almighty for the purposes of extending his love in the world. And then he quotes from Jesus himself in Luke 4, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he continues with Jesus' words in John 14. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me, listen to this, will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Now, when you read that passage, does it set you back a little bit that you will do greater things than Jesus himself because he's going to the Father who's gonna unrelease the Holy Spirit. When we profess faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells us and the Holy Spirit um, really mediates the very person of Jesus in and through the church that he gives birth to so that we are the hands and the feet of Jesus and therefore will have collectively greater impact on this love that got communicated to thousand years ago to today. Isn't that an amazing thing to take hold of? That we're better together when we're in this together, representing the very person of Jesus Christ. And so this is the invitation. God has purposed his church to be his voice for greater things to come. And we want to be a constructive church engaged in the greater things. So I'm just going to share two of MLK's guidelines of a constructive church. He actually identifies six, but my time allows for two. And then I'm going to invite you into a specific opportunity we have coming up, and I don't want you to miss it. First, a constructive church sets out to heal the brokenhearted from Jesus' words in Luke 4. MLK preached this quote, the basic reason for a broken heart is the constant experiencing of disappointment. That's just worthy sitting on that one. You know it's difficult to go through life without having to stand amid the chilly winds of disappointment. And I love his metaphors when he teaches. Because chilly winds, if anybody understands chilly winds, it's us. We get chilly winds and they hurt. They hurt. And he's bringing us into this hurt. And he says... um, You know it's difficult to go through life without having to stand amongst these chilly winds. 
um, this disappointment may grow out of some great hope that we have that gets blasted or some great dream that gets shattered. It may come through the disappointment of a love experience. It may come through a disappointment of a broken home. It may come through the disappointment of a loved one who is lost. But he says, whatever it is, it leads to a broken heart. Somehow, 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 when misery comes into being, one must go back to the fountain of the Almighty. Love this. I'm still convinced, he says, that the church has the answer to the broken heart. The church is called to heal the brokenhearted. That's our call. Last um, September at our annual meeting, I gave an invitation for our church on this front to do three things. To solidify our oneness as the church, to seize opportunities as God raises them up, and to strengthen the witness of the love of Christ. That should be our mark as a church because we get to be the church. And Ephesians 3.10 reminds us his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which is accomplished through Christ Jesus. That the wisdom of God is made known through the church and the healing of God is made known through the church. So let us have a high view of the church. In spite of our failures and our weaknesses, it is God who birthed it through Jesus Christ and what he gave to us to make a difference into this world. So we are gonna work with the church across the Twin Cities to address the need for healing and hope, for justice and mercy, because this is what Jesus did and it's what Jesus calls us to. We do that in a number of ways. We're gonna do it through dialogue that I and along with other leaders here at Westwood are currently sitting around the table with black leaders in the Twin Cities. I've been in ministry for 41 years. I have never done this until now, the last couple of years. And it's an amazing thing to sit around this table. It's hard. We're learning to listen, Shema. We're learning to suspend our convictions so we can hear and understand each other in different ways. We're learning to respect that we may not always agree on everything and we're learning to voice in the spirit of Jesus' love. And God is working. Those are the elements, the DNA of healthy dialogue. And we're seeing that happen in the Twin Cities right now. But it begins here in our local churches. And this has been the greater battlefront, believe it or not, in our local churches across the Twin Cities. So I'm glad to be part of a church that's willing to at least set the table for us to have dialogue. And you're going to hear about an opportunity forthcoming. And the third thing that we're actively engaged in is this opportunity to link arms with the black church to serve needs other than our own. This is genius, isn't it? And this is a national movement. It's not original to the Twin Cities, but we're part of this together. Um, for us at Westwood, we're partnering and linking arms with Wayman Church in Minneapolis, Pastor Richard Coleman, who is there. We have a ministry team at Westwood. They have a ministry team at, um, at Wayman. We're joining together with hands and feet to serve the purposes of a need greater than our own, particularly Franklin Middle School where we're coming along this school and we're not just providing goods and services, food and books and things that help families in that underserved arena. It's much greater than that. There's a spiritual accountability and ministry that's happening. And so we know the principal, we know the staff and our teams, Wayman and Westwood, join together, the W&W &W team, and they pray with the faculty, the staff, the principal, the kids and their families in person. Not just in the privacy of our churches and our homes, but together we're active on the ground praying. This is part of what it means to proximate and to draw near. One of the lessons that I've um, learned from Martin Luther King Jr. is to be positive because it's contagious. And I think we all know that negativity 
is also contagious. I think more than positivity. I don't know why that is, but it tends to be. Unchecked negativity will only result in the lack of unity and even darkness, King said. And then this is a quote from him, my love lesson that stands out to me. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And friends, we have the God advantage. We have been changed and transformed by the love of God. We are the church of Jesus Christ that is to be marked by the love of God, the agape love that serves, that is generous, that is engaged, that listens really, really well. And we wanna grow in that in the course of this year. Let us be a constructive church that heals the brokenhearted as Jesus did and calls us to do. And the second guideline, just briefly I wanna share, is from this sermon, a constructive church Proclaims the year of the Lord's favor is in the version that I read to you. He preaches the acceptable year of the Lord is how he states it. The king reminds us that the time is now. And he says, quote, the acceptable year of the Lord is that year that is acceptable to God because it fulfills the demands of his kingdom. That the year of the Lord is not some distant tomorrow, but it is any year that humanity decides to do what is right. And for two decades and over, I have preached the same message. I have not changed the message that we are KG guys and we are KG gals. We are kingdom of God guys and kingdom of God gals. And we serve the kingdom for seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. We gotta get really clear about who we're serving in this battlefront in our nation and in the world. It's a battle of love and love wins. And we get to be the kingdom people who bring about this beautiful initiative. And I'm reminded that Jesus himself says concerning the church, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. That there are history makers and there are history stoppers. And Martin Luther King was a history maker who had to deal with history stoppers at every turn. And there are history stoppers today, but we will be history makers in the name of Jesus Christ through the power of the love of Christ to make a difference in our Twin Cities and the communities in which we live. The acceptable year of the Lord is the year that God reigns now. He'll reign through the Shema as we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourself. So I wanna introduce you to one of our history makers at Westwood that truly God has anointed in his blessing for this time. I want you to meet Brian Fleming. He heads up our racial justice reconciliation team. Here at Westwood, we call him, as of this past week, a gentle warrior. You'll see this to be true of him. You may recognize him because he plays piano with great excellence. He's a proficient piano player, musician, and he plays on our worship team here on occasion. Professionally, he is an administrator and a community leader. He, he serves as a member of the, the Pacer Center Advisory Board. He's a member of Groves Academy on their trustees. He's also a member of the Airport Commission and their DEI task force. And uh, believe it or not, if I could add more, you think what else could the guy do, but he is also the chair of the City of Prior Lake Planning Commission. What are you doing with your free time, by the way? 
It's extraordinary to me, all that he does. He's a coach, a researcher, a school administrator, and a community leader, but most of all to me, he's a friend. He's a real deal. He's an authentic follower of Jesus Christ. And in the midst of all those responsibility, he makes his love for Jesus Christ and the church of Jesus Christ a priority, and he's giving excellent leadership to us. And I want you to hear a little of the story and an invitation that he's going to give. Would you give it up and give a warm welcome for Brian Fleming. Come on up, Brian. Thanks, brother. Uh, thanks for giving your day, although sure. you give your day somewhere, it seems, every day <laughs> and everywhere. Um, he, he's going to clearly give us an invitation on how we could continue to move the needle, but I want you to get to know him a little bit. So, Brian, start out by just your family and the influence of your amazing family. In your sure. Life. Um, well, good morning, Westwood family. It's great to be here. Thanks for the invitation to chat a little bit. I was born and raised in uh, San Francisco, California. Um, you see my parents there, Betty and Bob. Uh, my dad was a, a naval officer, uh, and my mom was a parole officer for at-risk youth. So you can imagine that there was nothing ambiguous about the structure in my household. <laughs> uh, cartoons couldn't be watched, and activities couldn't be done until chores were all finished up on... Did you have to make your bed in the morning? Oh, absolutely. In fact, it was just a few years ago when I finally got released from that and could leave the house without making my bed. But um, mom and dad had this really deeply held value around uh, education and giving back to community. So that is a, uh, something that I'm committed to. Um, I schedule that time. Um, I have two sisters, uh, Leslie and Janita. Uh, my niece Jordan is in the middle there. And we, we have a conversation every Sunday afternoon and really pour into each other's lives and, and get into each other's stuff. Uh, to make sure that we're, we're on the, the right path. Um, Anna Renee is my uh, daughter. She just started her freshman year at Syracuse University, and so it's just been really great to see her starting to build her worldview and, and as she's deciding how she's going to make an impact. You miss her, though. I miss her terribly. Yeah, um, yeah that, that last wave when she went into her dorm was, was, was tough, was tough, but she's, she's doing really great. Um, then there's Winston. Winston is my 12-pound, uh, two-and-a-half-year-old ball of energy. Um, so you can borrow him yeah, thank you. anytime you'd like. My 80-pound loss. Is, <laughs> I see that, you know, dogs are, you know, do you realize how important dogs are part of your family or pets are part of you? It's just amazing to me, yeah. the grief that we've had in that. But I also think there's a beautiful picture of even of God at work because our dogs are so unconditional in their love as is God is unconditional. Absolutely. And I'm sure you see that even in I, your journey. I do see that. And, and, and pets, as you know, I mean, they're utterly dependent on us as we are on God. And so he reminds me every day that, you know, how, what, what it means for me to be selfless. Um, another part of my family um, is, is the fact that they instill the love of music um, inside of me. And so this is where I hang out um, every night. I play every morning. I play during my quiet time. Um, and it's part of the way that I yeah. listen. Yeah. Your um, faith journey, just at least a glimpse of how that thing took off for you and how you began yeah. to listen and love the Lord your God to the end that you give the way you give. Yeah. Um, when I was a little boy, I, I used to love riding my bike. Um, I had two friends, David and Danny. Uh, David was Irish and Danny was Hispanic. So we used to call ourselves the small UN uh, United <laughs> Nations. But we would, we'd get on our bikes and we'd ride everywhere. And back in the day, you could do that and not worry about you know, you know, somebody kidnapping you or anything like that. But 
um, there was always this imaginary, this quiet imaginary voice of, that I've come now to know was, was God, right? But he would, I would have these conversations and um, he would say, turn left or turn right or don't, no, don't go down to Fisherman's Wharf. You probably don't want to do that today and you better, you know, get back home. Um, and so I, re I remember that as I was growing up, um, grew up in the black church, um, but also uh, went to an all-boys uh, Catholic college prep school and have played music in Catholic churches and Lutheran churches and non-denominational churches. Um, and so God has just been with me and has, has blessed me with the opportunity to, to, to navigate and travel in, in different, different spaces. Um, part of that journey um, obviously involves grief and sadness and, and loss. Um, I lost my father um, in my freshman year in college. And that was really, really tough. Uh, you can imagine an 18-year-old kid walking around campus uh, just numb from the whole thing. My college band director, <clears throat> Harold Van Winkle, um, dear, dear man of God, um, and two best friends uh, took me to church, uh, First Baptist Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And um, during the invitational call, the, the Holy Spirit literally lifted me out of my chair. Hmm. Um, and it was, it kind of freaked me out, but I just went with it. And, you know, there have been other uh, events in my life, uh, um, highs and lows, uh, seeing Anna off to school, um, you know, navigating and healing from a, you know, a painful uh, yet amiable divorce. Um, and then the beautiful part of uh, the journey is that I'm here at Westwood now. I've been here for 12 years and the word is solid. I think that first two years that I was here, it felt like every word uh, that was delivered was, was from the Holy Spirit through you or others. Um, and so I, I appreciate that. Um, the verse that feels my journey, my go-to verse is Jeremiah 29, um, 11. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, plans never to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. That, that is my go-to. So when you talk about all the things I'm doing, that's, that's what fuels me. Well, the influences in your life are, you know, family, friends, clearly, Winston in the journey, but Martin Luther <laughs> King Jr. was one of those influences too. I shared a love lesson that speaks to my heart and mind from him. Do you have one for yours? Yeah, my, my free uh, quote, I'm glad you, that you referenced that constructivist church, the yeah. guidelines. Um, what a lot of people don't know is that that 1954 um, Supreme Court decision um, which said you need to desegregate schools, um, the Supreme Court actually handed down a second decision a year later, uh, Brown versus Board of Vacation II, uh, which basically said you need to move with all deliberate speed. In other words, get going. You didn't listen to me the first time. Now we're going to make you obey. So I think that's instructive um, as well. The, the quote that I love from Dr. King um, talks about this urgency of now. We are now faced with the fact that tomorrow is today. We are confronted with the fierce urgency of now. In this unfolding conundrum of life and history, there, there is such a thing as being too late. Over the bleached bones and jumbled residue of numerous civilizations are written the pathetic words, too late. That strikes me um, as we're in this, um, this, this time in history, yeah. um, as I think about my life and the ways that I move, the ways, the ways that I think, the patterns of thought that I have. Um, we can be too late if we don't take time yeah. to listen. Well, the beauty of diversity comes with obstacles. 
in the pursuit of it. And what are just one, maybe two, of those obstacles that cause us to be too late to the table? Yeah, I, I think it's simply um, the two that we've mentioned in the Shema. We, we fail to listen. Um, we don't take time to listen. We don't pause. Um, and so I think we miss out on this gift of curiosity, right? And when you're curious about something, you can't help but be transcended across differences. Um, the second obstacle, I think, is, is not obeying. I think we have a human tendency to toggle between what, what, what the theology says, what the word says, and then over here, it's the stuff that we're comfortable with, right? Like, I like a certain sort of creamer in my coffee, right? If somebody serves me something else, I, you know, that, that messes me up. But I think the, 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 what God wants Did us to do... Did we offer you cream today? Yes, Just out of curiosity. Yeah, yeah. I think what God wants us to do, right, is in this, 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 um, this conversation about uh, unity and uh, racial justice and reconciliation is to say, I understand uh, how you form these thoughts and these habits, but I'm, I'm wanting you now, right, to have that informed by the word, by the theology. And, and it's very, very plain. Um, and so I think, again, not, not listening, and then secondly, not obeying. And obeying means letting your habits, your minds, the way you move, be informed by, by the word. Yeah. I, I want to understand. And I put myself around the table to understand. It's hard to listen sometimes. And I just want to invite us as a church to be good learners to be humble and to come to that place of solidifying our oneness and seizing the opportunities your team that you've been giving leadership to now for a number of months is really creating some pathways for us to listen better. And you, there's an opportunity. I just want everybody to be able to step into it. What is the opportunity that's coming up so before we wrap up? Yeah, the opportunity is a viewing of the film Just Mercy, and that will happen here on this campus uh, Sunday, 2 to 5 p.m. Uh, we'll have a, a great group of volunteers and uh, team leaders uh, there to sort of take us through a viewing of the film and then we'll have a robust pretty deep you know conversation and reflection about about the film yeah that's Sunday February 27th two o'clock to five o'clock would you make note of it try to come and learn I've seen the movie it's powerful it'll enrich your understanding and that's part of what we want to be about would you join me in giving thanks to Brian Fleming and would you stand and let's close our time together in prayer. Stay with me, Brian. I'd, I'd love to offer a prayer for us as we move forward here in this journey. It's a good journey. And so, Father God, we are grateful. Sit around a table. Learn a little bit this morning to hear again the words of Jesus, the call in our lives to be marked by love. Might we be one of your many constructive churches and might the collective whole of constructive churches move the needle toward help and healing, justice and mercy, the very mercy that comes to Jesus to us, from him to us, to change how we view the world, how we step in the world, and how we love um, you and love each other. Might we be known for a church that loves well. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brian. Appreciate it. Before you go, everybody, this is a PS service Sunday, so it means post-service. We have donuts for you in the link. You're glad you came today. We don't do that every week. Pick up your memory card as you go and the rhythm guide that our team has put together. You'll be blessed in it. Have a great day, everybody.